Welcome back to a brand new episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion, and today we are very fortunate to be joined by Petar Nalu from Helmgast, and we're going to be talking about Cult Divinity Lost, and if you've been listening to this show over the last few years, you've probably heard us talk about Cult Divinity Lost for a long time. Adam and I were big supporters of the Kickstarter, and we we waited for it, and we pined for it, and now we have it in our hands, and uh, there's new stuff coming out of the studio, and uh, Colt is looking to be in your lives in a big way, so uh, Petzer has uh, graciously uh, volunteered to come on the show and talk to everybody about, about Colt Divinity Lost. Petzer, welcome. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be on your podcast, I must say. Well, I mean, I think that that's very flattering. That's very flattering. Uh, uh, thank you for saying so, although really, truly, the pleasure is all mine. And thank you so much for the beautiful uh, book that you guys have delivered because, like, man, Colt is just, dude, on, on some level, like, the expectations that you guys set for the Kickstarter were very high in terms of the quality of what we would be receiving. And... You know, in in terms of an experience, I feel like you have kind of like gone beyond even the levels that you set because it's just such a great collection of materials, and we're all so excited that we're we have them now and we're able to play. It's really nice that you you think so. We we, I mean, cult is a passion project for all of us that were involved in it. So we really wanted to make them the best game possibly uh, so uh, and it has been very well received so i'm very happy for that of course um, uh, excellent excellent so before we kind of get started in earnest uh why don't you go ahead and kind of like you know introduce yourself to our audience kind of like tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe kind of how you got into the hobby and passion of role-playing oh well <clears throat> i am from sweden i Far, far, really far north in Sweden. I was sort of born in the uh, above the Arctic Circle in a small mining town, and I was really, even when I was very young, fascinated by fantasy and ghost stories. And this vast landscape outside where I live, was living was sort of speaking to me in that sense. Uh, and but Sweden at that time, when it come came to that sort of alternative culture. I mean, we had two TV channels, and they didn't really send movies that I was interested in. And there's like fantasy books in the library were quite scarce. You could find Tolkien and and some other writers. So I think I always hungered for that, you know, escapism and the the sense of adventure. Um, but there was a Swedish role-playing game company, and you could find those books in the sort of toy stores. And I used to look at the books on the shelves and sort of was really fascinated and bought of them, bought some of them and read them. But it wasn't until I was 13 I played role playing games for, for, for the first time. I didn't really have anyone to play them with at the start. But as soon as I played them, I really like, okay, this is what I like. This is what I'm going to sort of do. Uh, so that became sort of my main hobby when I was in my uh, early teens. And what, and what were you playing at that point? Well, I was mostly playing Swedish game. There was a Swedish game called Dragons and Demons uh, and another Swedish horror game called Shrock. But it, it was based on an English game called Shill. And, and Dragons and Demons was based on, on uh, uh, what is it called? RuneQuest. Oh, okay, okay. So, 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 chill and Rune Quest were kind of like filtered, uh, like, like into into your culture via this Swedish company. Yeah, exactly. So that, those were sort of the first role playing games I encountered, and then of course, Cult came when I was fourteen years old, and it was like, yeah, that was a game changer for me. It was a new kind of horror and a new kind of setting and uh, um, a, a portal to like. Clive Barker and, and Hellblazer and a whole sort of different kind of books and comics that I have never sort of, I didn't know they existed. So it was a starting point on a darker journey. 
So it was kind of like cult brought you to those things. It wasn't that those things filtered you into cult. No, cult was sort of the, the gateway drug, so to speak. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, since, since now you're at the point where you're kind of like at the helm of cult, uh, why don't you go ahead and pitch it to our listeners? I mean, the, I feel like they should know what it is because, I mean, we've been talking about it for years at this point. But um, why don't you go ahead and just and, and, and just like, take this opportunity to kind of like pitch them cult? Oh, damn it. That is so hard to do from, <laughs> from this. But sure. Uh, I mean, it is a, it's a horror game in a modern setting, a very dark urban game which is built around the sort of spiritual Gnostic viewpoint that the world that we see around us is not the reality. There is something far darker beyond what we see. And there are powers that have imprisoned us, uh, uh, mankind. And the game is all about exploring your own dark secrets, your own disadvantages, and sort of delve deeper into yourself and the sort of the personal horror of it all so it's kind of sublime and grotesque and beautiful with sort of a a lot of religious and spiritual backstory i would say um that's my pitch for cult well that's a great pitch i mean i don't you know i don't know who could say no to that you know you got me um as as you were moving from uh uh being like a role player and like a consumer of role playing products, how did you transition into development? Like what what led from being like a player and a GM to being a developer of role playing games? Well, as I guess most people, especially those that were the game masters a lot, which I was. I mean, we always wrote scenarios and created like NPCs and fantasy maps and worlds and always modded the rules. I was always like creating new things and adding it to the game. And I started, there was a sort of Swedish role-playing game magazine. And so I started to send articles to that one and I got accepted. And then in the early 2000s, like 2001, I got an internship on a Swedish role-playing game company. And very quickly after that, I got hired. So it, and it was a really small studio. So I, I did everything from like contact with freelancers and artists and making the layout of the books, writing a lot of the books, making deal with the companies that printed the books, uh, packed things in the, the warehouse and send it out to customers and stores. This was before Kickstarter was a thing. And so I sort of, got into that but but uh, there was also a very dark period in the Swedish role-playing game scene when most of the sort of role-playing game stored closed down and uh, we really struggled to make it on that company with our economy but it was not possible possible for a full-time employee so after that I sort, sort of moved on and and started to work as a scriptwriter for TV and animated movies and also pursued an academic career that focused on history and literature. Um, but but the, the writing and the storytelling that comes with role-playing games has always been there. I've always played them. I've always created things. And I have always freelanced and sort of published things during that time. But it was only a short time there in the beginning. I worked with it full-time. Well, I mean, it sounds like you got like a really comprehensive view of the industry at that point, like being able to work on every single level from uh, development through fulfillment in that in that studio. It was it was a really good experience. And it was I was quite young back then. And it was it was, you learned a lot about every different part of it. But it was it was also. I mean, it changed in Sweden, at least when sort of the the. The crowdfunding of role game, playing games sort of came into existence. Then it was suddenly suddenly possible to to create role playing games again for small studios. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that kind of blows my mind is that you're talking about this time when it sounds I mean, and and I kind of remember a time like that in America too when it seemed like role playing and this is in the early two thousands it seemed like role playing was about to go extinct. It seemed like. Uh, people were transferring their desire for that type of entertainment to uh, online venues, especially video games, especially kind of like MMORPGs. 
Um, but it blows my mind to hear you saying that the the economy of, of role playing in Sweden was so was so low because now Sweden is like the role playing powerhouse. Like right now, you guys are just like kicking out the jams on so much stuff. What's what's going on with that renaissance? Where's that renaissance coming from? Well, I think that Sweden is sort of. I mean, I think we were lucky in two aspects. First of all, we had a very we had a company called uh, Target Games or Adventure Games or Aventurspel in Swedish that sort of dominated the market, and they they sort of they stopped Dungeons and Dragons from coming in, and I say it as a positive thing because I think that it developed a different kind of mindset back then. Uh, so that that's why some of the role playing games that comes from Sweden is a bit different, I would say. Uh, and we also had quite a big support from the government. There is a lot sort of a, a youth, I don't know what you call it. Uh, uh, the government pumped in a lot of money for us to people to sort of got, we got money to sort of start groups and play role playing games and make our own little sort of have our own places to be in and play a sort of some, what do you call it? A group? No, not a union. I don't find a word for it, but when you have some sort like of. Like a club? Yes, exactly. A club. We, we got funds for creating these clubs and it sort of created this feeling that you wanted to organize and make your own role playing games and make your own fan scenes. And then when the sort of the role playing game death came in the early 2000s and everyone sort of drifted away, as you say, into the computer games and then MMOs. But I think that it was just brewing under the surface. And then when people got old enough, they were sort of like, hungered for role-playing games again and then they came back with all that experience and just used the new technology of crowdfunding and started something different well i mean that's that's a great story that comes out of there because it just it just shows how um like a group of people can bring a new idea like a fresh idea a fresh perspective on an already kind of like um established uh economy and then and then and then just launch that out into the world because right now so many just uh edge pushing genre pushing games are coming out of your country and from the studios there and it's just absolutely amazing watching this renaissance um so how i think that kind of leads into like tell us about helmgast man the com- the the company that is uh putting out colt now how how did that get started and how did that relate to the the property of colt and the ip and like how it's owned and etc yeah sure i mean as i said i i have even when i left the the, the game company that i worked on full time i I have always sort of published games and I have, of course, made those games with friends and we publish them together. And I guess we were all, all older and we felt like, let's just create a company. It's easier instead of like freelancing for some other companies. So Helmgast is really more of an umbrella company within where, where like the people that work with it are very different souls. We are all friends, but we are all use Helmgast as an outlet of our creativity. Uh, Cult is the first English-speaking game, but we have released several Swedish uh, games in Swedish. Uh, and everyone in Helmgast has a job on the side, so it, this is really just a, a passion company for us to sort of throw in our, our ideas and create what we want with it. Um, so and they like it that way. I like it that way because I remember the time when I worked in that company that you make, you start to make weird decisions when you sort of need the money to survive. Like, I really need to push this book out now. I know it's not finished, but I need to sell it so I can, can have money for rent and food for the rest of the month. And it can lead to very stressed products. Um, so I like the sort of position I'm in right now. When it comes to the cult license, it's, it's still owned by Cabinet, which is the sort of the ones that founded the cult back in the nineties during the name Aventurspel. And they had the name Aventurspel back then. And we have, uh, we are just licensing it from them right now. So we have it for at least five more years now and we'll publish books for it during that time. And then we will see. 
Great. Well, that's exciting, man. So you've got you've got five more years on your run. Um, and then what, 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 what's their feedback been on, on the new material? Like how, how do they view it? They are, uh, I, yeah, I mean, they are, they, they seem to be extremely happy about it. Um, I mean, the ones that the two people that sort of, it's a head of cabinet, Fredrik and Joachim, they are very nice people and they are, I mean, we have only gotten like, it's like, are you pleased with it? Like, yes, don't change, change anything. Just, just go on, do what you want. Because I think they have quite big trust in us. So they seem to be very pleased. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, so Colt is a game that has a pedigree. You know, I think that if somebody's been playing for a long time, uh, they will remember like the heady days of like 1990s kind of like grim, dark, gothic role playing. And at the time, it was like here in America, it was like Vampire the Masquerade books were very easy to get a hold of. And any hobby store that was worth its salt that you went into had a lot of Vampire the Masquerade books. And then kind of like next to it, you might find some cult books. You might find them. So. You know, we definitely were aware of the of the game over here, and there definitely it definitely has a a fan base. Um, how how is the new game connected to the experience of the old game? Like, what did you choose to bring over, and then what did you choose to leave behind? Mm, yeah, uh, that is an interesting question. I mean, uh, we have there are several editions of Cult, of course, that that's from the first edition. Uh, and I always went back to the first edition of Cult, the one that I read the first time, and um, tried to sort of dive deeper beyond sort of the, the very 90s feel of long coats and an Uzi submachine gun, that it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> um, so so uh, I think the strength of Cult has always been the setting, that the setting is very complex and it's built on this. Gnostic worldview connected to the Kabbalah, of course. So that was really the core to get back to and dive into sort of the, the powers that governs, governs our reality and sort of connect them a little bit better and screw. There are some things in the old cult that I was not that pleased about. I, I, but I mean, it's a child of its time, of course. So, so I sort of adjusted, but I really tried to be true to the spirit when it comes to the set, came to the setting and find sort of the core of the experience and how it could bring it out. So, uh, what would you say that core experience is? I would say it's, oh, it, it is, um, Cult is a game where you are playing broken characters and the sort of more you understand about the world the the more you are pushed out of it so to speak you are becoming uh, you're becoming an outcast the more you learn about it the world's the more the world sort of pushes you out and it's and you will start to realize that the secrets and, and the drama is all about you and your own past and what is hidden there in your past lives so i think it's I, I I think that you can play cult in very many levels. So so um, uh, it, it's just this dark personal experience, I would say. I, I think uh, if I could kind of seize on some of your language there, when you're saying you play cult on multiple levels, I think that that is baked directly into the core book. Because you pick up the core book and it's it's not like a thin tome. It's it's probably like what three hundred, four hundred pages, and you it's a very easy read because the page the the, the words per page are um, it's very breezy, so you're you're pulled into it really quickly. Um, but it's a it's 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 so bleak like right away, like right away. It's a just just dripping black oil game right away and then what's crazy is is because you because because the first the first few chapters are kind of like okay well here's a conventional horror game that is by the way very very dark probably the darkest kind of hardest material that you can purchase on the market that i know of right now but then the those chapters give way to another set of chapters that 
alters the game fundamentally, and then those chapters give way to another set of chapters that alter the game into into a whole new experience. Um, and th- and that's what's so crazy to me about the game is that you can you're you're almost like a fish that's like swimming through this these different waters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think that's I I mean that's one of the strengths with cult, and it's also the one. I mean, I, I think it's all can also be like a, a barrier you need to cross to, to understand cult, of course. To, I mean, the nature of the game itself can put off a lot of people, which I think is okay, because not a game shouldn't be for everyone. Uh, but it's also something that you as a game master sort of need to decide with your group. is like, on what level do we play this? Is it like... We play it very close to reality, like the first season of True Detective. We hint that there is something supernatural. And then you can just go beyond that. And in the end, it's, it, I would say that when you play Cult on the sort of one of the more higher levels, I wouldn't say it's a horror game anymore. Uh, I would say it's something else. It's more like, I, I, it, it feels wrong to use the word urban fantasy because I think you get the sort of the wrong perception of the game but I would still use that because I can't come think about anything better right now oh that's fascinating that's fascinating I love that um so since we're kind of touching on that when you've been running cult for a long time you're now the developer or one of the lead developers um like when you sit down at a table to run cult like, how do you proceed? What is the, what what is it that you try to establish first? And uh, does that change between, like, say, if you're at a con or you're doing a home game? Like, like, what's what's your approach to the game? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, I mean, the, the core concept of cult and the rulebook is that you you build a story on the player character. So you basically create the characters, uh, the players create their characters, and then you sort of use their dark secrets and disadvantages and you build a story around it so it's focused on them. If you're playing it on a con, we often use pre-made characters that are tied to the, to the story and it's a short, very intense story so that you can sort of uh, play it in a couple of hours. Um, to me, it's much about like thinking as a, as a game master, like what do I want to tell with this story? What is it really about? What is the theme? Uh, and be quite open with that with the characters like so they they create characters that ties into the sort of underlying theme of the story because if you sort of have that as your backbone you will you will make decisions subconsciously that sort of leads the game in the in the thematic directions and one of the things i have discovered at least from from uh, my experience with game mastering cult that I mean it's a game that is very visceral it can be very grotesque um, and grim and bleak but it's really important to be able to hold things back uh, and not overwhelm the players with the sort of horror and the grotesque because it's really the contrast that makes it efficient it's it's I mean, to be subtle is super important and give them a chance to breathe. And when the right time comes, then you escalate it. Uh, so, so holding back is really something I always try to have the back on my mind. Like, um, and at the same time, it's like when you come to a scene that is very intense, try to stay within it and, and let it play out. Um, and I also really like, to try to make like these horrific things inviting in some way, because I think that's sort of the, when you get that clash of, of uh, horror, but when it's sort of presented in another way, it becomes sort of morbid and weird. Uh, I mean, I think Hellraiser does this very well, for example, but I mean, if you have a brutal scene, even you see someone that's being skinned alive, but if you describe it as a game master, almost like, in an erotic way instead, like the soft sound when the wet skin slides of the muscles and the body when it shivers, when it's touched. It sort of creates a different sensation in the players because it's not what they are expecting. 
Um, so I would say, and, and, and also dare to be unpleasant, uh, because I think that a lot of games and, and even a lot of horror games are, are scared to sort of cross some limits. I mean, it, it, it's, it's almost like, okay, you can die or you can go mad. That's the worst thing that can happen. I feel like, but that's, that's the easy way out. I mean, that's, that's not unpleasant. And so if the players are, you know, goes along with it and you have sort of agreed what is okay and what is not okay, I think that sometimes try to take that extra step and, 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 and see how you can make it memorable and yeah. That's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant, like game mastering advice. I mean, that's, I, I feel like what you're talking about is obviously core to the cult experience. And like when people purchase cult, that's, you know, something that they can look forward to building in their own home games. But I feel like everything you just said is just like, boom, that's, that's horror gaming. That's high level horror gaming. Um, when you're talking about like themes, can you, can you kind of like walk me through that for a second? Like, um, say you are sitting at home and you're like, I want to run a game. I want to tell a story to my friends. Like, like what's your creative process with that? Like where you're, you're coming up with the theme and then how do you express that to your table to, to get everybody into this space of personal horror? Well, um, I, uh, I tend to sort of think about what is the sort of, what is the theme I want to tell, of course. Like, it can be like, I want to explore the theme that is a theme about, um, the relationship between adults and their parents. That can be a theme. And then it's like, and I, it can tie into a lot of things. What sort of location and setting would be the ultimate, um, for that kind of theme to explore it, how do we connect that to the all of the player characters and and have some suggestions for the players? Like this is the theme. Perhaps one of you should play um, the father or mother to one of the other players. You perhaps should have a child uh, and and sort of work with that and and uh, sort of bring that into the world and have it just like a theme. And then the back the story can sort of be about something else, but it will tie into the theme. But I used to have a clear idea of sort of what is the theme and what do I want to explore with this, uh, have some suggestions to the players and have an idea of sort of like what time period and place can be especially good for this sort of story. So you do some kind of like focused, more kind of like guided character creation where it's like, so, so the, it's, it's the character creation process is very much like a conversation between the GM and the, and the players in order to uh, make sure that everything is kind of coming together for that story and that there won't be any weird little kind of like, like uh, nails sticking out of the wall, like in Hellraiser. <laughs> well, I, I think to, I mean, I really like to talk with the players early on. I mean, I often have like a Facebook group or a chat group on Facebook and like, uh, what do you want to play? And perhaps have some suggestions what they, and we can discuss around that. And then we sort of focus on, okay, we want to play this. And the first session when we sit down and create the characters, it's all about like creating the characters, creating the dark secrets, um, finding out what are, what are the underlying themes. And we don't have to know everything right then, but just to sort of be on the same level. What are we playing? What are we exploring? Because if you're like, we want this to be a very subtle sort of family drama with an underlying tone of dark, occult, disturbing things. If some of the, one of the players, ah, I want to have a Katana and a Uzi, then it's like, okay, but now you're not working with the group. <laughs> you need to work with the group. Because then it's, then it's like you take that as a game master and then you sit in your chamber and like, okay, how do I tie this together? How do I build the story? And between each session, you work with that during the downtime and sort of think about where will we go next? What scenes will I build? What, what are the NPCs and what are the powers tied to this? Yeah, man, that sounds amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm so envious of your players right now. I want to play in one of your games so bad. Um, so, uh, one of the things that I kind of noticed as I was, uh, uh, 
reading cult is that, and, and I think that already kind of how you've talked about the, your process of, of, of building the game has kind of shed some light on it for me. But um, one of the things it says directly in the game is that it's about personal horror, right? Yeah. And this is and this is like a um, these are some kind of keywords that we learned in the '90s, and that I learned a lot from like Vampire the Masquerade, and then and then Vampire the Masquerade went got into some like subsequent editions. I felt like it kind of moved away from that, so that there wasn't really an emphasis on personal horror anymore. But then to kind of correlate this idea in some like recent press statements, um. Uh, uh, Helmgas has been saying there's going to be some new some new content coming out where uh, you can reframe cult as being about investigative horror, and immediately that caught my attention because I feel like in America, a lot of games that are about personal horror have sort of transitioned to be having their their basic facing to now be about investigative horror. So. Could you maybe talk for a second about the differences between personal horror and investigative horror and like how to differentiate these two things and how to really like emphasize personal horror in a game over investigative horror? Yeah, sure. Uh, I can just say that the whole idea, I mean, the cult core book is really focused on the personal horror since you are creating the, the campaigns and the stories around the player characters. The, um, but we will sort of add game modes to cult that is for example if you are playing part of an organization and it's more like the investigating like delta green or classic call of cthulhu stories but it will of course be in a cult way so um those that are worried that we will sort of drop all the dark secrets and all the personal things don't don't need to worry uh, for me i would say that personal horror horror is really where you have the player characters at the center of the story, and it's about them and their own weaknesses and secrets. And investigative horror is, of course, when you have this plot, this story that you are investigating. And the, the problem, as I see it, with, with a lot of the investigative horror games, and I have played a lot of Call of Cthulhu, and I finished like Masks of Niralototep like six months ago uh, as a player. Wow. So, so I, I, I have played it a lot, but the, the problem for me is that in a classical investigative horror game, the player characters are not tied to the story as a whole. You can switch them out with any other character. You need to have library use, uh, for example, in, in the Call of Cthulhu, of course, uh, but it will, it, it will not make a difference. They are not really important. And to, to make it personal, your character needs to matter. So um, I can take the example. We have released a campaign, which is an old classic cult campaign called the Black Madonna. And uh, it is from the 90s. And we added a chapter in the beginning, first an introduction to this is the 90s, because a lot of the players are not, well, were not born then. Um, and also how you create characters that are tied to the story in a thematic way, at least. Um, but, but I would say that, that uh, in a personal horror game, your character is important, and what's happening to your character reflects upon the story and vice versa. While if you have a purely investigative game, it is a story you find handouts and clues, but who you are has no importance whatsoever. The story is not really about you. Okay, that's that's wonderful. That's perfect. And um and that that's a really great way of putting that distinction down. Um I feel like there's been this kind of drift in horror gaming over the past like say 20, 30 years where um we've moved away from personal horror and like and 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 we've almost I I I almost feel like investigative horror has come to just kind of like dominate what horror is about. Like you get, you buy a game and then it's just almost goes immediately into like mystery solving mode. You know, there's, it's just, and, and, and then the horror is always the thing that you uncover. It's not the thing that was like always inside of you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's safer. I think people feel it's because in an investigator horror game, you always have the horror at sort of an arm's length distance. I mean, it can be dangerous, but it's not really, it's not really invasive. And 
like it's not about you and what you have done or like your dark desires and thoughts and grim things from the past um it's not like what you are turning into uh which of course i think is the most interesting part um so so but i think that i think that first of all i think it's easier to produce adventures and scenarios and campaigns for investigative horror games and i think it feels safer for a lot of players it's easier to sort of create a character and jump into it and like let's solve the mystery yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah i just man i just love i love some of these things you're saying because it's getting me just like so revved up for personal horror again um Wow. Okay, so if we can kind of just like shift a little bit back towards uh, like the kind of like the business end of it a little bit, I just have a couple more questions for you about that. Um, so, and this one, this one, uh, I feel like, I mean, I don't know. May, I think maybe we've like belabored it a little bit too much on this show in particular, but um, the the cult Kickstarter delivered delivered late, and um, you know, it was it was it was pretty late. Uh, what 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 went on with the production and uh, like what led to those to those difficulties? Yeah, sure. I mean, we were two years late. I think we were probably some of the people that got the books even later, especially when those that live. We have a lot of fans in Brazil, for example, and it was really hard to sort of get the books sent there. It proved to be a problem. Uh, the main reasons that we became late were. I think it's a numerous things, but one is, of course, a classic thing that you promise something and you don't realize how much work it is in it. Um, so it's, it's clearly a, some parts of it's a bad planning from our part and combined with sort of a sort of perfectionist streak that we really want it to feel right and, ah, this artwork is not good enough and we need to rewrite these chapters. And one of our key members were sort of burned out because of stress, not that much related to cult, but uh, like life in general so it took a big toll on us and one of the biggest problems was actually translations because we wrote the game in Swedish uh, and thought that we will just translate it and this is sort of also the, the unexperienced uh, that we were inexperienced uh, because then we wanted to find translators and it's no problem finding translators but finding translators that can give sort of justice to cult proved to be really hard. Uh, I mean, the rules chapters was one thing, so we had one translator doing those, and the mythos chapters another. But it, I mean, we had you tried out several translators, and we also had this freak incident when we found like one translator for the mythos chapters that was perfect, and he started to work on them, and then he got sick, like life-threateningly ill. So we, he's like, no, I, he needed to be going to the hospital, and he's not well, completely recovered yet. So we needed to find another one. So it was sort of a loss of these strange things, artists disappearing. And yeah, and we made a book that was kind of adult oriented. So in some countries, we sort of needed to replan that, okay, we can't sell th this book there at all. So we need to, but yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I mean, you can always have excuses, but we should have planned that better. I think it was, it's pure and simple. So, so what I'm just kind of hearing is that you guys learned a lot. It was a lot of growing pains. It was kind of like, I mean, it was the first time out for a project of that magnitude, right? Yes, I mean, it, I think we released, I don't know how many books it was in that project, but it was a lot of books like released simultaneously in a new language. And we never had, uh, we never had an international release before, but now we have like, okay, the upcoming books are written in English, most of them by uh, freelancers from the US and UK uh, and we will not kickstart them before sort of the core of the material is finished and so it's, we have learned a lot about that but it was I would say it was inexperience and then we also had quite let's say that the the system has worked against us if you are a conspiracy, like have these conspiracies or something like that. <laughs> a lot of let, strange okay, things. Let me ask. Let me ask. You, you probably know the question that's coming, but I've seen it on some boards around the internet. But do you believe in like the cult curse? Have you have you heard of this? I'm sure you have. No, I don't 
I don't believe in a cult curse like that, but for a while it felt like that when it was like thing after <laughs> thing. And we had an artist that was so brilliant and he lived in, in, in Russia. So I talked to him quite a lot. Uh -huh. And then he was just like gone. He's just like disappeared. He said like, Oh, I'm going to a meeting, but it's probably okay. And it was like, it was like cult. It's like, I can't, call. I tried to call him. It was like, whoosh, left the face of the earth. It was like, okay. <laughs> so we sort of got that sort of feeling of it. But, but, um, no, I don't, I don't think it was a cult curse. I think that if we have planned it better, we have, we had understood the magnitude of what we were doing. And a little bit of more luck, I think that we would have been quite on time. Okay. Well, I mean, we love the game. The game's brilliant. The materials are brilliant. Um, I'm very, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy with the game that I received. So, uh, so I'm, I'm happy. I'm a happy Kickstarter backer. Just want to let you know that. Um, let's see. So I've only got a couple questions left for you. Um, and this one. I'm kind of interested in hearing your take on this one because, because Colt is such a hard game, and the way that it's written is obviously very transgressive. And it says, it, it, it seems to me like Colt wants you to play transgressive horror. And there's, there, I mean, there's even like a, there's like a description in here of like how to like adjudicate like like if you were going to be playing through a scene where there was like a rape in the game, right? And this is some very, like, sensitive subject matter. And we live in a time when I feel like people uh, in the gaming community are very interconnected and they're speaking their minds about things and there's a lot of people develop, like, really strong opinions really fast and then push them out into the internet where there's, like, a, a constant kind of roiling discussion about, like, what's in gaming and what's acceptable in gaming. Um, some games have had a harder time breaking into this world of transgressive horror than others. I mean, again, I keep bringing up Vampire the Masquerade, but Vampire the Masquerade has launched a new edition at, uh, at the same time that you guys are launching a new edition, and they've tried to occupy that transgressive horror space, and they've experienced incredible blowback, incredible blowback from the internet community. If I feel like every move that they make is just incredibly scrutinized. Um... But but people aren't talking about cult in that same way. Why do you think that is? What's different about your approach? Well, um, first of all, I think it's fitting that cult and vampire come sort of at the same time. Uh, in the in the 90s, I know that cult and vampire were sort of released with like a couple of months apart. Of course, cult was released in Sweden, so... Uh, but, but it was something of the time, time period, I would say. Um, I think that White Wolf had, have a, had a big sort of fallout with the community and the community is very split. Uh, I, I, uh, I just have the feeling it's two different groups that sort of one group that really want this sort of dark and gritty style of vampire that are, that can sort of really use the trauma and dangers of a real world and another group that sort of wants the more sort of, I don't know if they want the sort of tragic, romantic, and rise vampire, but they don't, they feel that some subjects are not okay. That it's too dark for the game. And it seems like these groups really dislike each other. So first of all, that White Wolf has a, as a fan base that are so divided and sort of doesn't like each other is problematic. And I just feel that White Wolf has had a lot of things to, to handle with these groups, so everything they have re released, as you say, have been scrutinized and like, and, and some of these things have been like, I mean, from my perspective, it has been weird. I mean, there has been like conspiracy theories that they leave secret messages to the alt-right people. I mean, it has been almost like a weird situation. And I, I also like think that the mood today on the online is that People are lo looking to find things controversial. They sort of skim the text in the book and look on Twitter and try to find find things that they can be upset about. Uh, and I'm like, why don't you avoid those things instead and play the games the way you want it? And I think that the, this, that's the primary reason. I think that the cult community is much smaller. Cult is much more niche and grim in some way. They sort of expect that cult will be cult. 
they want it to be a horror game that goes farthest. There are no, not really that many people in the cult community that sort of, ah, you shouldn't sort of touch on real world events because, I mean, the whole setting of cult is like that everything we see, every political party, every religious organization, even how they behave, still just want to imprison us. There is no really good and evil powers in the world. They all have this sort of same agenda. So we sort of covers everything with broad strokes. Everyone is included in this, so it's very hard to get out of that. Um, so I think that we have a much smaller audience, that there is much more aligned in what cult is. If there were people in that audience that wanted to sort of find things to be like disturbed about in the books, there is an abundance of things. Like they they can write how many posts they want about things in the books that are sort of disturbing and and should it be allowed to be that dark. But as as of now, I feel that the fan base is very aligned with what the game is and who it is for. It's like. It's like cult is a black metal record, and the people that buys the game expect it to be black metal and dark and and evil and and uh, not evil but grim and dystopic. Uh, and there is not someone in there and says like, ah, this is too much. So I think it's all about the community and how it is split for White Wolf. So do you think as cult continues to expand its footprint um, and reach new audience? Do you feel like you're able to reach the people to whom Colt is written? Are you able to discover new players who are who are craving this hyper dark transgressive material? Um, or do you think you're going to reach a point where you're in game stores and people are discovering Colt and then they're freaking out because they're like, "My God, look at this book." I think it's very hard to 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 answer that. I I think that I mean we make the game. I mean, cult is a fan project from the start for for, for us that's made it. So it's really a passion project. And um, I think that if people finds the books and freaks out that oh I have booked I have bought this book. And this content is nothing I agree with. I mean, you don't have to play the game. I, 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 th- I think it's sure it might happen. I, I can say, I, I hope we don't need to have a, a big cult controversy online with the flame wars about what's okay and what's not okay to do in, in role playing games. I think that's, um, uh, I mean, cult is cult. Cult is, is, is its own thing and there is a lot of a lot of good horror role-playing games and i mean you can take cult and you can play it extremely subtle you don't have to bring in all the darkness to it um so i uh, i i don't know i i think it's i hope we we don't have to have that controversy i think that you should always try to be true to what the game is to what the soul of the game is and if you start to waver too much away from that, I mean, I think you can see that on other editions of Cult, especially the second Swedish edition, when they sort of cut out everything that was sort of troubling and sort of replaced it with gore because gore was okay. And that game lost all edge. It just became like a splatterpunk game. And then you have lost what Cult is. Awesome. Awesome. That was that was a great answer. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, coming up, you you at uh, Helmgast, you guys have like a whole bunch of new material coming out. Uh, did you want to talk about what we can look forward to from uh, for for as cult fans, real quick? Yeah. Well, we have since we are have this idea now that we are only going to kickstart things that we know are sort of finished because we don't want to uh, have a two-year delay on what we're promising. Um, we have several projects running. We have um, a Game Masters book that is all about sort of exploring atmosphere, 
trauma, the grotesque, uh, but also creating character and objects and places like a big toolbox for the for the game master to use in these downtime periods to, to sort of flesh out the world of cult that will be released simultaneously with a book of short stories that sort of created at the same time as this one, so it touches upon these subjects. And I would say that's closest uh, in, in time for right now. And there is also, we're working a bit with sort of magic and rituals and, and um, uh, player's companion. And then we will also have some pure sort of source books, like a, a city book where we have a very specific story but I don't want to say too much because it's more like we can we sort of see how how the projects move along and since we have freelancer working on them and sort of still trying to figure out I still try to figure out how is a setting book for cult how should it look how should it feel to to be true to the game it has not really been explored before so it's still a lot of tweaking um, so I don't want to sort of say in what order things will come, but, but uh, things are going on and we have some sort of idea that we will try to release a fair share of material as long as we feel that it's good. Um, so, But hopefully in a month or two we will have a bigger update on what's coming. And, and Well, that is very exciting and I am on the edge of my seat waiting for those dates the dates on those releases or the Kickstarters or whatever just to drop because I can't wait to get more cult material. I can't wait. Uh, it's it's all been very exciting. And on, on some level, to like help people discover the game, you have been so kind as to send Full Metal RPG not one, not two, but three copies of the core book. Am I right? You sent us that as a gift for our listeners. And... Um, we are so grateful. We are so thankful. So, um, you know, to all of our listeners, please go check out the Facebook page. Go check out the Instagram and figure out, because we're going to be giving away one cult book per week for three weeks in May. So if you want, if you're listening to this and you're, you're thinking about cult and you're like, oh, oh shit, I want in on that, go to our Instagram, go to our Facebook page, figure out how you can get a copy of the cult Divinity Lost rulebook and how we can get it to you so that uh, you can learn how to play this great game. Um, uh, Petter, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. Um, I really appreciate you. Uh, it's just been an absolute blast having you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I'm looking forward to what you will be creating as well with your upcoming podcast. It would be nice to listen to them. Awesome, awesome. And hey, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. It it, it, it blows my mind and warms my heart to hear that you listen. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Occultists, thank you very much for for joining us. Uh, This this is Brendan Carrion, and be checking out uh, another episode of Full Metal RPG coming to you soon. Thank you very much. Have a good night.